Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this special edition of Workplace MVP. Over this last month, as we have all at some point reflected as a nation on the events of 9-11, it is common for most of us to recall where we were and what we were doing when we first heard the news of the attacks. I know I vividly remember where I was, and I have had conversations with many others over the last 20 years that have had the same types of recollection. Looking back on September 11th, 2001, and jumping forward to now 2021, and the world we live in today with the COVID-19 pandemic, and hearing how employers are increasing and focusing efforts on providing mental health support for their employees, it leaves me wondering, how did employers respond and support employees in the immediate moments, days, weeks, and now years following the events of 9-11? How did the attacks change how business leaders react and respond to disruption in their workplace, particularly as it relates to supporting the well-being of their employees? Well, with us today to share his experience and key learnings as a business leader during 9-11 is Workplace MVP, Jim Mortensen, who is the president for our show sponsor, R3 Continuum. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Glad to be here. So let's start out with you walking our listeners through your career journey and how you came to be the president at R3 Continuum. Okay. Well, um, sometimes I talk about my career as kind of a testament to transferable skills. So my educational background is in accounting and finance, and that's usually where I would start in a company because it's the most obvious kind of uh skill that people can grab onto. Um, But what I would do was um, I was in finance and then I went into project management, product development, client service. And what I found was um, the reality is, is that product development, client service, and finance have to work together all the time, but they really don't know what the other one is talking about. Um, And since I had been in all three, I could kind of coalesce and and get people unified in what in the goals that they were going for. So, you know, frequently product development people go to client service and say, here's what we want to do. And client service rolls their eyes and says, you have no idea what you're asking. I'd throw some client service and ops terms out there just to say, yeah, I, I know exactly what I'm doing to you. So let's figure out how to how to make this work. Um, And with that, I worked in various large companies like American Express and uh, United Health Group. But I also, through all of that, would look for kind of the small entrepreneurial groups within those large companies, um, because what I really love to do is go into an area that is either really uh, falling down and or is experiencing explosive growth. And what I would consistently see happen is when you're going from that kind of small boutique into a mainline business, uh, the volumes are crushing you. And they've largely succeeded and thrived almost through a lack of process. 
you know, they're very hands-on, they adjust to everything that's going. And the challenge is when the volumes get that high, if you don't change how you're doing it, you won't continue. So I really loved going in there and talking about we're going to preserve the core, but to preserve that core and remain client-focused and nimble, we have to change how we do that. And that's an incredible um, both both from a tactical standpoint and from a culture standpoint, it's a very challenging time. And I found that that really, I just really love that kind of approach. Well, after being in big companies, I then moved into small to mid-sized companies. And really when you're leading in that kind of an organization, the whole company is kind of a boutique entrepreneurial group and they need people who can move across processes. So it really was a good fit for me. And that's how I transitioned into um, smaller companies. And then when I heard about R3 and what they did, it was just such a core um, in Simon Sinek's why it just really fit for me. So I just have a passion for what R3 does. Right. And it it fits well within our description or our, our show today and talking about 9-11 and where you were at, you know, career-wise during that mm-hmm. time frame, because R3 was a big responder to 9-11 in terms of the mm-hmm. psychological first aid for employees and, and other victims. Sure. So let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit and talk about, you know, on the day of 9-11, you were working, and I know you've mentioned American Express, but you're working at American Express Financial Advisors. Can you share with us what was your role at that time? Where were you officed? How many employees did you have? You know, where were they located? And kind of just share sure. a little background on that. Sure. As you said, I was at American Express Financial Advisors, and I was at that time leveraging my finance background. I was uh, in charge of forecasting and budgeting for that company, which I think at that time was about uh, $700 million a year in revenue. Um, and I had just recently taken over that job. Um, I had just recently gotten a new boss who, ironically, was commuting from Toronto at the time. Um, and I had about five employees. We were all based in the IDS Center in downtown Minneapolis. Um, I was driving to work when I heard on the radio that planes had crashed into the World Trade Center. And I think like a lot of us, I was kind of in shock. And I, I remember on the drive, the first one, they were reporting about the first one hitting. And I thought, what a horrible accident. And then the second one hit. And we kind of all realized this isn't just a random accident. So I think I spent most of that day kind of in shock. Well, and you, you heard about it driving to work and knowing that those, you know, the towers were the, you know, the largest towers, um, I believe in, in the country, the IDS is one of the largest towers in Minneapolis. So how, how did, were there any feelings that you were feeling as you continued your commute in or any thoughts that ran through your mind? Yeah. And in fact, um, we sent everybody home by about noon. Um, in part because, to your point, the IDS Tower was one of the tallest towers in the Midwest. So we felt like we could be a target. I mean, it, it's kind of like the early days of COVID. Nobody really knew what was going on. Um, and I think also a lot of us, I had two um, elementary school age kids. 
and my wife was at work in the schools and and I think we all just wanted to be home and close to our families at that time. Um, so it was a combination of that and a real concern about the security that uh, our whole company just shut down and sent people home. Interesting. So, you know, with the employees and you mentioned that they, you shut it down and everybody went home to be with their families, you know, what were some of the communications that were going out, um, to your, your employees at the time as a leader, what were some of the things that you were asked to, to do from the organization? Sure. Um, well, I think at least in the early days, I think we made a call that's probably not correct, but was fairly common then is that there was um, one response for the people in New York where our headquarters were and a very different response for the rest of the country, right? Mm -hmm. So the CEO of American Express, I think got really good press for how he handled 9-11 because he was out there and talking and and um, communicating with employees and telling them, you know, uh, creating new spots for people to work because the American Express Tower actually um, was connected via tunnels to the World Trade Center. And they used the same heating and HVAC systems. So um, actually for a while there, we assumed everything in the American Express Tower may have been incinerated by the heat coming through. But actually, when the towers came down, it tore off the external skin of the American Express Tower. That's how close they were to the World Trade Center. So there was a lot of focus on trying to find all our employees. I remember being in conference calls in the days after that, and you'd just be waiting for everybody to check in and wondering, are they all still alive? And it was really kind of a a weird scenario. You know, it's not, gee, is this person late to the meeting? It's, is this person still alive? Um, we were quite fortunate. I think the only people, uh, American Express employees who were killed that day was a group of five to seven people in our travel um, company who actually worked on site for one of the companies in the tower. Interesting. So with your employees here in the Minneapolis area, mm-hmm. you know, n- what was the feeling like when you returned to the office and knowing that there were employees that were in the tower and that there were employees that were close to uh, the vicinity of the towers? You know, what, what were some of the feelings that were going through that and work environment and how how did you show support to them and how did you navigate that? Yeah, it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of, um, and again, where I think we fell down is there wasn't a lot of communication to the non-headquarters people. So we found out about it in drips and drabs. And, um, And again, while I think the company did an amazing job of working with the people directly impacted, I think back at that time, it took a long time before people realized this really impacted employees across the country. Um, And even if they did realize it, I think back in that time, there wasn't a lot of understanding of 
how you help and support employees during that time. I mean, I remember for weeks, my boss, whose family was still in Toronto, if you remember that you couldn't fly, he's, he's stuck in the U.S. And I started to think his fa- from his family's standpoint, their dad is working in a foreign country that's been attacked. And finally, after a few weeks, he rented a car and drove home just to go see his family. And I just think we all just really didn't, um, I think, didn't understand completely how to deal with that. So, again, we did a great job with the people we knew were directly impacted and a lesser job, frankly, for the people who were indirectly impacted. Yeah. Did the organization, let's say, like, fast forward to some of the anniversaries past um, in the first year, or even maybe in the in, in the immediate, was there, I know you kind of mentioned that there's a lot of support that was provided kind of in that New York area and that concentration of employees that were more directly impacted. Did they eventually kind of catch on to some of the support that might've been needed? And, and if they did, how did that look and, and feel as, you know, they kind of progressed in their learning of, of everything? Yeah, I think what they did, Um, a lot of is as they started to recover the tower and the tower for months afterwards was actually used as a staging area for the fire and police, et cetera. So American Express had abandoned the tower and put people out to remote um, offices and such. And I think um, so they ended up as they started to get regain the tower, they did a lot of work with people around will you feel comfortable coming back to work in downtown New York and within sight of, of the, where the world trade center was. And, and I think they had a real understanding of that's going to be traumatic for people. And some people desperately want that in order to recover their normal. And some people don't want that reminder. And again, I see a lot of parallels to today, mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, we're having the same dialogues today. Do people feel safe coming back to the office? And people love working from home, but they miss their coworkers. And I think it's some of the same impacts we're seeing today. I just think we're a lot more aware of and aware of mental health issues and aware of why the employers should care and be engaged in that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, well, that's really a personal issue. We shouldn't be involved. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've heard in some of the other interviews and and kind of, you know, stories I've heard from the 9-11 during this anniversary timeframe where they've mentioned that that was really kind of the turning point for the mental health focus in workplaces, that that really was kind of where employers realized there was another part to business continuity that wasn't just systems and operations, that it was really, Mm -hmm. you know, your people. And it sounds like you've saw very much something similar within the Ameriprise that they did have to make that shift over to looking at their people. Um, Well, and some, some of my experience was impacted by the fact that I was in finance and, and in charge of budgeting and forecasting And what happened on 9-11 had some pretty severe impacts on Ameriprise from a financial standpoint. Um, As I recall, every 1% movement in the market um, 
impacted our bottom line by a million dollars a year. So I spent a horrendous amount of time post 9-11 focused on reforecasting the company over and over and over again. And it was kind of um, at that time, particularly in that area, it wasn't uh, how are you dealing with what just happened? It's, you know, work lots of hours and figure out how we keep the company going. And that's not bad people. That's just the way things were back then. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well that happened now. What's our revenue going to be next month? That's kind of the, the yeah. approach. Yeah. Sounds similar to our interview with Colonel William Williams um, <clears throat> talking about, you know, his experience in the Pentagon during nine 11 and having to yeah. go back on a plane that following Monday back at it to work. So it very much during that time frame sounds like it was very similar amongst other industries as well. Yeah. And there was nothing intentional or negative about it. It's just kind of the culture back then and the lack of understanding of what, how it's impacting. And I guess in some ways, it's also a way some people do recover. Well, I think it helped me to not focus on that and instead focus on work. That's a certain approach of maintaining my normal. It was to bury back into work again. Yep, absolutely. So we're going to take a moment and hear from our sponsor. So Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and violence solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So now looking at you as a leader during 9-11, in your perspective, looking back on that, what would be some of the changes or impacts that you had in your leadership style or how you lead or view leadership today? It's hmm. a great question. I think one of the things I've really learned both from 9-11 and also, frankly, from working where I work now is in periods of, of stress, whether it be work stress or certainly even more so non-work trauma, um, it's really important for leaders to be visible. Um, I think like all of us, there are times during events like that, or even, you know, death of a coworker or something, we've had that happen here. And um, all of us as individuals, I think, get struck with the, I don't know what to say. What's the right thing to say right now? And a fairly natural reaction to not knowing what to say is to say nothing. And leaders in particular, um, to go hide in your office and say nothing is the worst thing you can do. You've got to be out. You've got to be visible. Um, And in certain events, like 9-11, like the death of a coworker, um, leaders have to understand that that's a time not to put your leader face on. It's a time people want to see you as a human being. Um, So it's okay to cry or to show emotion or to link with people that way. That's what people are looking to their leaders for how to 
handle this situation and they want to know that their leader cares. And I think that's part of what I really learned from 9-11 is um, those kind of events require leaders to step out, step into it, and just be visible and be human and deal with, you have to help people um, understand, meet, and, and frankly accept that this is an emotional, highly emotional time. It's a very disruptive time. And we have to work through that before we can be productive again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I've really learned through it all is there's um, people have different ways of dealing with it. So a question I've gotten from employees is, well, how do we help so-and-so during this? And the answer is, well, you ask them what they're needing, and then you believe what they tell you. The, the idea that you've got to go through grief a certain way is really kind of old school now. What you have to do, most people are not in denial. They're just working through it in their own way. So you ask them what they need and you believe them when they tell you what they're needing. Yeah. That's it's like they kind of get at what you're wanting to know. Yes, absolutely. And I think what's interesting about that is, you know, really what you're you're sharing is, is that a leader has to demonstrate just similar to any other cultural type, you know, nuance within an organization, whether it be, I really want a positive atmosphere. Well, that leader has to demonstrate that. And when you're going through crisis or a traumatic event like 9-11, it's really no different. You showing them it's okay to have that emotion. It's okay to feel that way. I think probably provides just a sense of comfort in itself to those employees in knowing they can be just, you know, handle it and kind of work through it the way that is best for them. Yeah. Before people can be productive, they have to feel both physically and psychologically safe. So at R3 during the pandemic, the commitment has been um, as long as there are not performance issues, we will not require you to be on work at the office unless and until you feel physically and psychologically safe being here. Now, we're in a unique position where we can do that. Not every company can. But the point is, during ignoring the physical and psychological safety will not get people productive faster. It will slow it down. So you got to start there before you can get the business going again. Yep. It's kind of like when you think of the great resignation that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of organizations are facing. Some of that is a reflection of that employee looking at their work life and going, "Eh, doesn't really fit me anymore, but you know, you make a valid point that by being able to meet that employee where it's comfortable for them and and it feels safe for them, both, you know, physically and psychologically, you're able to create that atmosphere that helps them to know this is a good place for you, you know, mm-hmm. probably helps with that, that, that movement. So <clears throat> from your perspective, you know, you talked a lot about kind of culturally and just like, you know, how work was back, you know, mm-hmm. during the 9-11 timeframe. And, you know, thinking about it now, obviously, you know, it's been 20 years. We, you know, we've got, you know, I believe it's like two generations, two new generations to the workforce in that time frame. You know, employees, what do you think has changed in terms of an employee's expectation of leadership when events of this magnitude and that level of disruption happen in a workplace? 
Another great question. I think even beyond big events, um, the whole view of what's, what companies should deal with and what's appropriate to deal with at work has shifted dramatically, both through the generations and through time. Um, so kind of I'm a, I'm a late boomer. And lots of things that are discussed every day in the workplace. It used to be, it's not that those aren't topics that are important to general society. It's that those topics have nothing to do with the business. So they shouldn't be, they're not issues for the business to take on. Well, I even realized how out of date that sounds when I say it. I mean, it's kind of the same as, as the uh, ledger paper I used to used to uh, foot and cross foot because we didn't have, uh, you know, um, Excel at that time. So there's been quite an evolution about what topics companies can and should be addressing and employees expect their employers to address these issues. And some of that is you know, what are my behavioral health needs? I'm feeling burned out. I'm stressed out. And they expect their employer to help with that. Um, and I think the flip side, if you want to be a pure, um, what's the return on investment of doing this? I think that has shown to be um, a false idea that ignoring that is because it has no impact on the business. It has a huge impact on the business, um, both in terms of short-term um, productivity and frankly, in terms of retention of employees. Um, employees wanna know they're cared about. Employees wanna know that their company is doing things that are helpful and productive in society. And to the extent employers do that, they garner more than just somebody um, working for a paycheck and they get their, their passion and their commitment and their retention. And so I think the whole shift, certainly 9-11 started some of that, but there's a lot of things going on that are that have made a dramatic shift during my career of what is expected of companies. Yeah. And so, you know, with that kind of keeping on to some of that same vein, you know, if you were going to be give, provide some type of piece of guidance to our listeners for how they could effectively lead when an incident occurs, you know, whether it's a massive event like 9-11 or even smaller scale incidents can have a similar impact on a workplace, you know, when there's been like maybe a death of a, of an employee or coworker that was well-liked or loved, even sometimes customers I've heard can have a big impact on those work environments. So if you were going to give guidance to a leader that's listening right now, you know, on what they can do to have that impact on, on an employee, what would you leave them with? Well, um, obviously, it's the, the business we're in is helping em employers and leaders with that. Um, so getting a counselor to come on, on site and help employees with that, I think, is incredibly helpful. Um, we went through it at one point where one of our employees was killed in a car accident on the weekend. 
Um, I'm fortunate enough that I could pick up the phone and call one of our employees who's probably the global expert in these kinds of things and have him guide me through it. And we brought a counselor on site. And a lot of what it is, is just gathering people up and meeting them where they're at. And I remember the meetings we had and some of it was really sad and some of it was really funny as we would recall fun stories about the person. And a lot of it is, they call it normalizing your reaction, just kind of meeting people where they are and letting them process. So I think um, what you don't want to do is force people to pretend things are normal before they're ready to. So again, I think it's being very, um, very in place, be out there, talk to your people. It's a lot tougher right now with people working remote. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of articles about that is how do you find out how people are doing when they're all remote? It's tougher right now, but just because it's tougher doesn't mean it's not needed. Yep. So how have some of the employee employers that R3 has worked with, um, you know, handled this mass shift to remote and still being able to provide that support? What are some of the approaches that maybe R3 has built into the, um, into their programming or their, their service delivery that has helped to make sure that employers can still reach them where they're at? Well, one of the things we've developed is an ability to do we call it on-site response. Typically when something happens in the workplace, we will send a counselor on site to talk with the employees. That's not so effective if the people aren't on site. So in hospitals, we're still going in and, and working with the people in the emergency departments and the ICUs. But if it's an office where everybody's remote, what we've developed then is an ability to do that through Zoom calls and things like that so that we can still help the people process and help them process with their coworkers through the same vehicles that they use for other meetings. Um, and in that way, the fact that they're not all in one spot doesn't prevent the ability to reach out. We've also, for a long time, for companies that have very few people on site. So, so retailers who only have a couple people on site during a robbery, going on site isn't, isn't viable for them. We have an ability to, to do that telephonically. So we just use the, the technology tools we have in order to continue to provide the service. Um, we believe on site and in person is always the best response, but it isn't the only response. And while the other responses may not be um, as effective, it's better than not doing it. So you you try to reach people in the best way that you can. Fantastic. So in looking at your career, you look at, you know, kind of over your career journey, um, what would you choose if you had to choose one, one thing or accomplishment that you're most proud of? What would you choose? <laughs> I think the thing I'm most proud of is the way we dealt with last year. Um, Last year was by far the most challenging time, I think, for any company and any set of leaders. Um, And if you think back to the start of COVID, how rapidly things were changing. 
I remember mid one week, people raising, are we going to send people home and work remote? And I wondered why people were overreacting so much. And by Monday of the next week, we had 100% of our people at home. And I felt like we were too slow to react. And it was just things were changing that rapidly. And the thing I'm proud of is that the company was able to react and respond that quickly. And through the weeks and months following, we went through a period that was the busiest we've ever had. And then probably six months of the business being very, very slow. And we didn't do layoffs. We managed to to just tough it out and get through that. And we kept finding out what do people need and getting support to them. We reached out to to families and asked what their kids needed. And we had um, days where one person would just take over and do Zoom calls with a bunch of kids and do crafts to take some of the pressure off of working parents. We had food delivered. We had counselors available. Just just all the different things the company was able to bring to the table to help our employees while our employees were providing critical support to the infrastructure of our com- of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm proudest of is what we were able to do during that time. Fabulous. Like you, you were delivering on what you promised to your customers, to your employees, which is very honorable in terms of, you know, a lot of companies offer a lot of services, but sometimes don't always return it back to those employees delivering it. So that's fantastic. So if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Well, they, um, I'm on LinkedIn. I have my email address is jim.mortensen at r3c.com. You can look at our website. Um, Happy to talk to anybody about how, what they're facing and what their needs are. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Jim, and letting us celebrate you and for sharing your stories and great advice with our listeners. We appreciate you. And I know for sure that the organization does as well and as does your staff. So thank you so much for being a part of our show. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. And if you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to know. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.